As we have worshipped God, we've heard his call, we've sung to him, we've worshipped him, we've hopefully repented. And again, as we go through the service, continue to pray, continue to look to God, but know that we also can hear from him. And we'll read three different passages today and then hear more about who our God is and why and how we can love him. So we'll start with Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones! Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these lanes that they may live. So I prophesied that he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and I will bring you up from them, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Continue with the gospel in John 11. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel of the Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, according to St. John. 
Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is the Lord's glory so that the Lord's, for, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Judeans there were tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and who had seen what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to God. I know David gave us clear instructions to turn our phones off, but I'm going to keep mine on timer. That's actually for your protection, not mine. Once I get to 56 minutes, I promise I'll start wrapping it up, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we gather around your word, we once again pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're not familiar with the uh, liturgical calendar, uh, then today is the fifth Sunday in Lent, and it's also the start of a little-known um, part of the, the year called Passiontide. Anyone ever heard of it? Um, I've been an Anglican for quite some time, and I only discovered this a couple of years ago. Okay, the last two weeks of Lent, are, which begins this Sunday begin a season called Passion Tide, uh, the fifth Sunday of Lent and Palm Sunday, and it leads up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And like Lent, which is a time of introspection and fasting and a little bit more intensity in our prayer and intention in our, in our Bible reading and in our generosity to the poor, then it's leading us as we journey with Jesus towards the cross. What's so special about that? Well, let's remember that the disciples ran away from Jesus at the cross. We don't want to do that. So part of Passion Tide is getting people to, to be intentional about looking towards the cross and requiring of ourselves to run to it. 
not away from it, so that we're not ashamed of what our Messiah did for us, so that we can look beyond to the resurrection. And if you look at the readings for today, today being called Passion Sunday, it is all about resurrection, is it not? Yes. And in the first reading in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible with the prophet Ezekiel, the resurrection looks a lot more national, a whole people group. And then in the gospel portion, there's the individual resurrection, and then there's some very, very powerful statements about Jesus, and therefore that should impact our lives and how we're going to live in light of the resurrection. So where does the idea of the resurrection come from? I hear you ask. Well, obviously when we start uh, the Bible, there's not a lot of talk about Adam and Eve coming back. There's a lot of talk about as soon as you eat this fruit, you die. And the idea that death entered the world, our great enemy. And as you track through the, the Bible, there's a few, very few sparse examples of people being resurrected. Namely around two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. These are the only two prophets in the Bible that actually get the Holy Spirit. Everybody else is given a vision or they see something uh, or they are moved by the word of the Lord. But Elijah and Elisha are deliberately given the spirit of God and things happen with them. They can uh, bring children back to life. In fact, if you throw a dead man in Elisha's tomb, he comes back to life. Ooh. So guess what we, st guess what we stop doing? We stop burying people in Elisha's tomb. Okay? You would think, wow, that was, that was really cool. We'll just keep doing that to everybody. We'll just line them up. Every time someone dies, we'll shove them off to Elisha's tomb and we'll all have a little bit more. But it seems like people didn't want to do that. Which is an interesting thought. So let's have a little look uh, at our Ezekiel um, prophet, which gives the most um, intense and most significant depiction of a resurrection. Because the Jewish belief is that uh, we all have a soul. Where does that soul come from? Well, as we're made in the image of God, it might surprise us that even God has a soul. It says in Jeremiah that I will do this with all my heart and all my soul, says the Lord. Hmm, so what does that mean? In Genesis 2 verse 4, which is a very unique uh, scripture, which is read every single Sabbath on Friday night, when the Jewish people gather around a meal table, they light their candles, they say some prayers and blessings, and they always read Genesis 2 4, which says that God has finished with creation. He's no more creating. So where do all the souls come from? They've already been made. Isn't that an interesting thought? Jewish tradition that God has all the souls that will ever be born. As the prophets will say, I knew you before you were even born. And then when a body is made, a soul is given, 
but that belongs to God. And you have to give it back. And you can see this in uh, one of the parables of Jesus, the parable of the rich man who builds big barns and gets really comfortable in his uh, blessings and uh, says, I'm, I'm doing really well. My barns are full. And uh, God says, you foolish man, today your soul is required from you. I get it back. So brothers and sisters, you all have a soul, don't you? Yes. Who does it belong to? God. You're going to have to give it back. Are you ready? I hope so. A lot of this message today will be about being ready and about being the invitation into having and enjoying the divine life. So the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a... Um, uh, exilic prophet. He's not a prophet that's prophesying in the land. He's in diaspora. So his, his uh, language looks very different from the other prophets. Um, he's using a lot of terminology and things that come from Babylon. But he sees a, uh, a large valley. He's brought to this big valley and it's full of bones. Doesn't say where the valley is. So, of course, when things aren't in the text, then part of the Jewish uh, exegesis is to find where that is. So uh, they will find names for people that don't have names. Um, they'll find places for, for people for places that don't have names. So this valley is named in Jewish exegesis as the Valley of Shinar. When we hear the word Shinar, what do you think of? Tower of Babel. Because that's where uh, the people gathered to build the tower. And according to tradition, it was constructed under the, the auspices of Nimrod. And uh, it's all about rebellion. That uh, when the, the first time we rebelled, God flooded the world. Second time we rebel, God might flood the world again. So let's build up. Right? Let's, let's get up. But instead, you get uh, the confusion. But the idea is that these bones are linked to rebellion. So who's getting resurrected? Yes, the prophet says this is Israel. Absolutely. Can't deny what the text says. And in, in Ezekiel, resurrection is tied to the land. God is going to resurrect people and bring them back to the land of Israel. But who's getting resurrected in this national rebirth? Sinners. All the people who were part of the rebellion. So there is this tradition of resurrection. And everybody's going to have it. And it gets linked to the last day. It gets linked to judgment, like the flood. Uh, and so we're going to see in our gospel portion... Where, where, where Martha says, I believe in the resurrection. Of course Lazarus is going to come back from the dead. We're all coming back. But uh, it's at the end. But, but what happens now? So in John chapter 11, I'll put up our little, little picture. John chapter 11, we encounter the seventh miracle of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He, uh, John has seven miracles. This is the last one. After John chapter 11, John, Jesus doesn't do any more miracles, apart from rising from the dead, which is pretty good. Uh, he, he, he goes into the Passover. He spends the, the last week, 
uh, chapter 12 to 21 is all about the last week of Jesus. So this is, um, for those that know me, uh, yes, I'm a Protestant, so don't get too scared. Um, I really like icons. Uh, having lived in this land, I've discovered that no one worships icons. They're windows into uh, the story. And uh, you worship God in Jewish tradition with all of your senses. You don't just worship him with your singing and hearing. You worship him with your eyes. So the temple was beautiful. The tabernacle was full of color. You worship God with your senses. He's the one that invented incense. It wasn't the Catholics. All right? Uh, you, you, read, you read Exodus. God says you create some incense. And he even gives you the specific details of what ingredients to put in. And then he says, that's for me. You're not allowed to have this one. You can go make your own perfumes. But this one's mine. So, you know, does God smell? Yeah. Probably the best out of everybody. Okay? So he also sees and hears and speaks. He can do all of, of those senses. So, so let's not run away at, uh, at thinking that we've all become suddenly pagans. So here we have a picture of Jesus uh, bringing Lazarus back. And um, there are the two women that you can see. One of them, of course, is at uh, his feet, right? Because it's re reflecting on, the, on, on Martha or Mary, who used uh, a jar of alabaster oil to anoint his feet, including her tears. And uh, there's Lazarus, who's all robed up uh, in his grave cloths. And um, if, the, if you actually see the whole picture, then you can see men taking away the uh, entrance to the tomb and the disciples are off into the side because um, they're accompanying him but they're not quite 100% sure what he's doing so they're there but they're not quite as involved as, uh, as, Jesus, as Jesus is now Lazarus is a very interesting character uh, if I ask the question who is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right, everybody says John. My next question is, how do you know that? And most of us will go, well, Wikipedia said so. <laughs> right? Patron saint of misinformation. That's where we get all our sermon notes from. <laughs> so we, in the West, we have this tradition, and we just say it again and again and again. Jesus is, uh, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. How do you know? Well, he just is. But if you were Greek Orthodox, and if you were actually reading the text, what does the text say? They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the disciple whom you loved is dead. And then he weeps. And they say, see how much he loved him. Actually, the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, has not occurred until John chapter 11. Doesn't appear again until John chapter 13. And it's there at the crucifixion. When Jesus is on the cross, redeeming the world, and he looks at his mother and at a disciple who's there, and he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, take care of mum. 
That's a paraphrase. The synoptics, which are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are adamant to tell us there were no apostles at the crucifixion. So who's this disciple then? If you happen to be a member of the Greek Orthodox, now we as Protestants, we only have a tradition of talking to Catholics, and it usually goes like this. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. Well, you're the Antichrist. Well, no, you're the Antichrist. Okay, everyone's the Antichrist except the Antichrist. By the time we've finished our discussion, he's a really nice guy. But there is a, a, a long tradition that the, of the Orthodox, and uh, they, they will tell you that the disciple whom Jesus loved is Lazarus. And uh, you don't have to believe me. In fact, you know, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> but uh, read the text. Read the text. So Jesus, Lazarus, is one of those... Um, I, I looked for a couple of icons of Lazarus, uh, and most of them, they have him... Sort of, you know, they're all, 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 all saints also stand there looking like this. Um, he actually has a book in his hand, which is very interesting, um, and because he was uh, not probably who we think, and he often has two, two, a stole with two crosses on because he lived and died twice. He's a man with two tombs. That's not bad. Right? One tomb's here in Jerusalem, and the other's in Cyprus. How do you get to Cyprus? I hear you ask. Man, you're full of questions today. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we, we read in the text in chapter 11 that even when people see the resurrection, what do they want to do to, to Lazarus? Kill him. Isn't that incredible? People who've seen an amazing miracle still won't believe. Let's remember that miracles are not the basis of our faith. If, if the basis of your faith is that you saw a miracle, you're on, you're on shaky ground. Lazarus lives at a place called Beit Ani, Bethany, house of the poor. Although, if we're completely honest, he doesn't actually look like he's very poor. What are some of the giveaways? He's got a tomb. Only rich people have tombs. His sister seemed to have a rather large, expensive jar of oil that she thought it was a good idea to anoint Jesus with. So it, it, what's, uh, what's he doing in this place? Who knows? But somehow, Jesus uh, has, has met him. He's very familiar with the family, and whenever he comes to Jerusalem, it looks like he, he stayed with them. So much so, because as he's teaching, remember, he's teaching in a house, and the women are, at, well, Mary's at the feet studying, right? Martha, in this, in this chapter, calls him the Messiah. That's not bad. How'd she know that? She spent time with him. She's one of his disciples, too. And she believes in the resurrection, absolutely. So if you'd been here, Lord, I know what you can do. Lazarus wouldn't have actually died in the first place. But now that he is back uh, from the dead, which, by the way, no one asked him. Okay? There was actually another icon that I wanted to show. It's Lazarus coming out of the tomb all wrapped in robes going, whoa, that was just crazy. Okay? There's a tradition that when he came back from the dead, he never smiled again. 
right? Because where has he been? To be absent with the body is to be... He was probably in a really nice place. And then he rises from the dead and he's like, oh, great, I'm going to have backaches again. Oh, really? Oh, then I have to go to the bathroom. Man, I'm not looking forward to this. And Jesus is like, come, I'm really sorry. <laughs> okay. But it was actually for my benefit. This is for my glory, right? That's what the text says. Why does he die? For the glory of God. And so Lazarus has to suffer again. And according to tradition, then uh, the, 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 the believers smuggle him to Cyprus because he's got the death sentence on him, where he becomes uh, the bishop of the church in Cyprus, where his second tomb is, 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 uh, is found, and it's marked the man who died twice. Okay? And, and uh, it's got a big Orthodox church on top of it. Um, but if you're ever in Cyprus, it's worth, it's worth a visit. But what are we learning from the resurrection, particularly as we're heading towards the cross? And I want to draw on the, word, the exchange that, uh, that, that Jesus has with the girls, where he says, do you believe that Lazarus will rise again? Yes, I've got a nice tradition that uh, talks about resurrection. It's really cool. The whole nation's going to get resurrected, including all those that are in rebellion. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And, uh, and it even, we even get a national home again. So, you know, all this occupation and, and stuff by the Romans, well, it goes away. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And Jesus turns around and says, I am the resurrection. The resurrection isn't just an event. It is an event. It's also a person. So what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the resurrection? So when you, have, when you believe in Jesus, it's not just, oh, he's the Messiah, and when I die, that's it. He is life. He, not just he is the future life. He is king, not just in the future, but right now. And he is the resurrection. And you can live that, as David would tell us, that divine life right now. He who has this, as Paul says, will never die. Yeah, the mortal coil goes. The soul goes back to God. It's his. He owns it. And what's he going to do with it? He's going to put it in another body. One that doesn't wear out. But do you sit around and do absolutely nothing? No. When you look into resurrection, when you look into revelation, sorry, what do you see a lot of dead people doing? Worshipping the Lord. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, revelation, right, there they are. They're around the throne and they're worshipping the Lord. Some of them even have palm branches. I mean, where they got those, I've got no, no idea from. Um, I'm going to assume that there's trees in heaven. Otherwise, you're going to have to bring your own. Okay? And I could just imagine you, you, some of us forgetting to bring one. It's like, oh, did you bring your palm branch? Oh, no, I really forgot. So, well, go back and get one. Okay? Well, it's going to look really weird if mum sees me. Okay? But um, Jesus is the resurrection. We and, and, and Paul, the Romans passage sort of, sort of described this secular worldview where people don't believe in God, like most of the world. And uh, so what hope do they have? 
Think logically, rationally. If there's no God, then a secular worldview is hopeless. Is it not? So why bother doing anything? I'm always stunned when I meet uh, some of you are probably vegetarians or vegans, yes? Great, it's fantastic. I can understand that if you believe in God. If you don't believe in God, why are you denying yourself anything? I, I, if, if I, when, I, when I meet non-Christians and they're, they're vegans, and you're like, why? Oh, because I don't think we should be harming anything. Well, if there's no God, you must therefore believe in evolution. Evolution teaches you survival of the fittest. So therefore, eat anything and everything. In fact, eat it before it eats you. Is usually the rule. Okay? And, uh, uh, and, 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 and why bother about climate change? Who really cares when you die how hot the planet gets? But if you're a believer and you believe that God said you're in charge of the earth, I get it. So we need to have the worldview of Jesus as the resurrection, as the life now. We are those of us who are followers of the Messiah, who have embraced him as our king and as the resurrection. We don't die. That should change our entire worldview. So, what are you going to spend your money on? Are we going to save it all up for our retirement? It's not a bad idea. Or are we also going to invest in making sure that the church is full after we die? That's the sort of worldview you ought to have. You want to have that, that worldview right now. Because it doesn't change. It doesn't go away. Jesus is the resurrection. And so... Brothers and sisters, that's the life that we, we are being invited into. I mean, inviting you all into that life today. That when you believe that Jesus is alive, that you are alive now, then when you walk out that door, have hope. You have a future. The king is on the throne. He's not going to let it go bad. He is coming back. Are you ready? We will have to give our souls back. Everyone we meet is going to have to give our soul, their souls back to God. So we've got a burden to share. We've got a burden to tell people, you're coming back. You're all coming back. And it's good news. It's life. It's hope. It's a kingdom that's right here and right now. And it is the resurrection good news. So as we head toward the cross, don't run away. Be there when the master gives his life for us. Be expecting for him to rise from the dead. Because that's the good news. That's the gospel summed up in one sentence. Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, forget it. May as well believe in some other form of, of resurrection. Like Coming back as a cow or something. Which is a really bad idea if you come back as a cow in Texas. <laughs> so I could just imagine the Texans going, I'm so glad you're back. <laughs> Here, have lots of food and get fat. Because I will. <laughs> 
the resurrection life, friends, is right now. Can, you've got to taste it. You've got to feel it. You've got to encourage each other. So when there's doubt and when we're, when we're hurting and when we're pain, and there'll be some of that, then we can encourage each other with the words, Jesus is the resurrection. It's okay. I will journey with you. Maybe it's through a sickness, but I'll be there. I'll be there when you rise from the dead. We'll all be there. And Jesus will be with us always. He will never leave us or forsake us. And that's really good news. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.